Welcome to Tax Notes Talk, a podcast from Tax Notes, the leading source of tax news, information, and analysis. Welcome to the podcast. I'm David Stewart, Editor-in-Chief of Worldwide Tax Daily. The U.S. tax reform effort continued last week with the House Ways and Means Committee completing its markup and the Senate Finance Committee releasing a bill of its own. While both bills target the same main priorities, there are significant differences in their approach. Here again to help us sort out where things stand is Tax Analyst Vice President of Editorial Operations, Jeremy Scott. Jeremy, welcome back. Thank you for having me again. A note to listeners before we get started. We're recording this at noon on November 15th, so it's possible that some of the proposals we're discussing could change before you hear this. With that in mind, let's start off with where things stand in the House. Jeremy, what's changed in the Ways and Means markup? Uh, Not too much changed in the markup from what had been released in mid last week to what they passed on Thursday. They restored a number of credits, uh, notably the adoption credit. They tweaked a few of their business side proposals, but basically the bill remained largely what we had seen early. They, Like I said, they were softening the impact a little bit by making it not seem as harsh on some of the deductions. But the the basic parameters stayed the same. Four bracket structure, 20% corporate rate cut immediately, preferential rate for pass-throughs. They made the test on the pass-through rate a little bit easier to comply with, but it wasn't a radical shift what they sent to the full floor. And so now we're expecting the House to vote on that on Thursday and pass it, setting up a showdown with the Senate, assuming the Senate uh, manages to pass its own version of the bill, because they're going to be quite different. But the markup did not dramatically change the bill as much as people thought it might. Okay. And so I guess we should turn to the the Senate bill. Uh, That was released uh, rather late on Thursday. Um, How does the Senate bill differ from the House proposal? The Senate bill is actually quite different. And the Senate bill became even more different late last night from the version released last week. Considering they were working from the same framework, it's a little surprising how divergent the two paths are. Some of that is because of Senate budget rules. They have to comply with the Byrd rule and they have to comply with reconciliation. Some of it is, though, just a difference in priority. And I think it's a little shocking just how divergent they are, particularly on the individual side. So the Senate did not go to a simplified bracket structure. The House dropped the number of brackets down to four. The Senate keeps seven of them. They changed the rates a little bit, but not a lot. The brackets are 10, 12, 22, 24, 32, 35, and then 38.5% on the top rate. That's down a little bit from 39.6. It's down from the House side. So the Senate did keep its promise to cut the top rate um, for whatever that's worth. It did double the standard deduction, just like the House version. It repeals the personal exemptions, just like the House version. However, it doubles the child tax credit, taking it up to $2,000, although... Again, only $1,000 of it's refundable, and then there's sort of a complicated calculation that chains it to inflation, which might change the child credit just a little bit. It repeals the SALT deduction in its entirety. That's the state and local tax deduction. No uh, property tax deduction like the House version had. No cap. It's just, it's gone. It repeals the AMT, and it keeps the home mortgage interest deduction, the medical deduction and the adoption credit unchanged. In fact, it didn't tackle a lot of individual deductions. Like the House version bill, the goal was to get rid of most individual deductions and simplify things for lower rates. The Senate didn't go that way. They repealed the state and local income tax deduction, but left pretty much everything else unchanged. The other big thing that happened last night, two big changes on the individual side. The first is the ACA mandate, the Obamacare mandate to have health care, is being repealed under the Senate version. So this accomplishes 
the Republican goal of eliminating Obamacare or at least dramatically changing it. But it also raises a lot of revenue. And I think once they started to realize that if they repealed the mandate, they could have more revenue to fund tax cuts elsewhere, they got a little bit more political support from the caucus. Although putting in the mandate repeal complicates the chances for passage of this, it does create some skepticism from some senators who you might have expected to be more firmer supporters of this. But right now, they say they have the votes for it. It appeared in the chairman's mark last night. The other big change in the chairman's mark last night on the individual side, virtually all the individual cuts are sunset. They will go away on December 31st, 2025, so not even 10 years from now, and they will leave it to another Congress to extend them. The big ones here, again, the bracket changes sunset, the doubled standard deduction sunsets, basically everything that they're changing on the individual side sunsets which is a little bit surprising. Many people thought they might have the business side cut sunset, but that was a change in the mark uh, last night. On the business side, the plans are a little bit more similar, the House and Senate plans. It is a 20% corporate rate cut down from 35%. The Senate delays it one year. Again, they're doing that to help pay for the bill. It repeals the corporate AMT. It has an interest deduction limitation to 30% of adjusted income. It has a dividend receives deduction for corporations. This is kind of a step towards territoriality. The repatriation provisions that are in the House bill are also largely in the Senate bill, but it's a very different rate. The Senate rate is 10% for cash, 5% for non-cash. And there is an unspecified base erosion tax that raises over $100 billion over 10 years. Not many details on that yet, um, so we'll have to see how that develops. The JCT uh, did not have anything on it in the summary of the chairman's mark last night, except a revenue score, which was kind of interesting. So again, the business side tracks the House side a little closer than the individual side, but there are some major differences. So last time you were on, you you talked about the House bill and how it was a fairly robust uh, tax cut aimed largely at the middle class, but also it was a business and middle class tax cut. Um, With the sunsetting provisions, does this Senate bill skew more toward the corporate tax cuts? Well, it's interesting because in the actual revenue cost, the Senate bill is a little bit more generous to individuals. Like the tax cuts are are more slated towards individuals than the House bill, but the sunsetting provision does complicate things. I mean, clearly what the Senate is gambling on is that no Congress is going to let the individual side revert back to its old rates. Like what they're saying, what they're doing is they're setting up something similar to what the Republicans did in 2001. We're going to have all these tax cuts expire because it saves us revenue costs now, and no one is going to have the political courage to vote for a massive tax increase in 10 years, in this case in nine years. And so it's the way of having their cake and eating it too. They can save revenue costs, but by making it temporary, and they're kind of resting confident that a future Congress is going to extend it. That's a bit of a gamble, I think. The Bush tax cuts were a lot more... would have been a bigger hit to individuals if they had allowed those to expire. And I think that's why the political will to let anything but the top rate expire uh, just wasn't there. These are a lot smaller changes. Some of them are very controversial. Like, I I think a future Congress probably would let the SALT deduction repeal if for some reason that made it in there. So again, the Senate plan, by the numbers, when it's in effect, it is more generous to individuals than the House plan. It is skewed a little bit more to the individual side than the business side. But the expiration date does complicate things. And it, it complicates the political optics of it as well. I think you can expect to hear a lot of talk about this, how the when push came to shove, the Republicans chose to let the individual provision sunset in order to make permanent a corporate tax cut that polls show is not all that popular. Okay, we were, you're talking about uh, some revenue estimates and, and trying, to, trying to hit their uh, revenue targets. How does repealing the individual mandate, which is in essence a tax, how does repealing that 
get them more revenue for tax cuts. Yeah, I think that's counterintuitive to a lot of people, but it does raise revenue. And the reason is, is because if you remove the mandate, a lot of taxpayers will choose not to buy insurance at all, which will mean you don't have to provide subsidies for them. So basically, healthy, younger people uh, may opt out of the insurance market altogether. They may decide it's cheaper for them to just not buy health insurance. They'll gamble on their health. And that way, the government doesn't have to provide the subsidies that they provide to help people buy ACA compliant plans. So again, it's a little counterintuitive because you think that if you repeal a penalty that you're going to lose revenue from people who are paying that penalty. The reality is no one really pays the Obamacare penalty. It hasn't really come into full effect yet. And so by repealing it, you're essentially saving money on the subsidy side. The government doesn't have to provide subsidies. And so that's how they get this $300 billion over 10-year number. Now, the counterside to that is, according to at least a joint committee, it will create approximately 13 million more uninsured individuals and around 10 years out, but it does save revenue and they've used that revenue to provide a a little bit more generous tax cuts uh, on the individual side. At least that's what they say they've used the revenue for. Obviously, money's fungible. They could have ended up putting other small provisions in the bill. There's a lot of talk that this is going to be paired with a bill to fix the subsidies to to sort of fund them the way the Trump administration has said they're going to stop funding them. Uh, there's there's talk that to get political support for this ACA repeal in the tax reform bill, the Senate's going to have to agree to a compromise plan that fixes the subsidies and provides some statutory basis for them. We'll have to see uh, how that goes. But yeah, it raises revenue because of lower subsidy spending. Now, is there is there a danger of making the tax reform bill too complicated by adding in health care on top of it and maybe losing votes in a very thin majority? Yeah, I think that's a huge danger. And uh, I'm a little bit surprised that they opted to do it. Um, obviously, the House had talked about it. And where the Republican majority is a lot more secure in the House, they decided not to do it. They decided not to take up this part of it. It's, it's surprising that the Senate, uh, where they could not get a majority in favor of any kind of Obamacare repeal in the past, It's surprising that they've decided to complicate their tax reform effort with this. I think the simple fact is they needed the money and they they needed a revenue raiser that that their entire caucus could get behind. And they think this is it. They've talked to the senators who voted against ACA repeal the last time and they think they have their votes. Uh, Senator Murkowski today sounded a little more open to this as long as the subsidy market, the insurance market was fixed. Uh, as part of like sort of that compromise legislation. Senator McCain and Senator Corker said they would love um, to be in favor of this. They need to see kind of how the numbers shake out. Haven't heard from Collins, who was another no vote on ACA repeal, or at least I hadn't noticed that she had said anything. They think they have 50. And in the end, that's what they need. They need 50 votes and then the vice president's tiebreaker. And if they think that the extra revenue here can get them over the top and get them that 50th vote, I think that, you know, they're going to do it. But I do think it is interesting that they have made this a little bit more politically complicated by trying to come once again resurrect ACA repeal which did not go well for them for most of 2017 and try to put it into sort of their last gasp legislative effort to get something done in 2017 to accomplish one of their legislative priorities. And with the additional revenue from ACA repeal how is it looking for them meeting the requirements of reconciliation? Well I think the revenue helped them to put a few more sweeteners in the bill. What really helped them meet reconciliation was sunsetting the individual side. I think that is what has gotten them into complying with the bird rule. You have to wait and see. Bird rule challenges are complicated, and I don't think we have any final word 
on whether this is going to pass uh, the bird rule when it actually comes up to the parliamentarian. But certainly sunsetting the individual side, getting a little bit more revenue from the ACA mandate repeal, that gives them a lot more wiggle room. The last I heard, the bill was coming in around $1.4 trillion and it has to be below $1.5 trillion. So they're okay there. It's just a matter of, are there losses outside the 10-year window, which is prohibited by the bird rule? And, and you have to get an interpretation from the parliamentarian. It can be somewhat complicated. I, I think they'll get there. Um, I think that these changes will pro- have probably put them over the top. And I, I've never thought that they were going to trip up over uh, rules interpretations. There's a lot of ways to sort of get around some of them. And I, I think that they, since they didn't go with sort of outright budget gimmicks, that some people thought Rothification or changing how the CBO scores bills would not have helped them with the bird rule. Um, but I, I think that these changes have probably gotten them on the right side of those rules. And if not, they'll tweak it a little bit further. They, they're not that far away. All right, what's next for the bill in the Senate? So we're expecting the Senate to finish its markup this week. They're not on as structured a schedule as the House. The the Senate never is, so it's not a guarantee. But we think that they'll finish the markup this week. And then we don't know when a floor vote will take place. It's likely to take place early in December if it finishes the markup uh, tomorrow, as expected. They're not doing anything next week, obviously. Um, if If that's true, if they do start to sort of speed up and try to get a vote in early in December, there's some rumors that they may try to finish the bill by December 12th. That's, of course, the Alabama special election date, uh, which holds some significance for Republicans because if they lost that seat, their margin for error would be even slimmer. They would have only a 51 to 49 majority in the Senate. So it, it could speed up. Things could go a little bit quicker than people anticipated. It looks like it might get a Senate vote in early December, but that's assuming they can get it out of the Finance Committee. Again, they can't even lose one vote in the Finance Committee. They only have a 14 to 12 majority. But I think they're looking okay there, and I, I, I bet we do get a vote sometime early in December. Now, whether they finish, and get it to the president's desk by December 12th, I think is a, is an open question. But I, I would say the next step for the Senate bill is coming out of committee tomorrow um, and then a full floor vote sometime early in December. And then the House floor vote obviously is tomorrow and then they will wait to see what the Senate passes. And then there will either be a formal conference between the two chambers or probably a bit more likely an informal conference where they just introduce, they agree together on a series of amendments and then jointly introduce them and then pass that bill and send it to the president. But this whole effort has gone very quickly quickly. And unless there's a political footfall at some point, it's looking like they're going to get this done in December. And I, I think that's impressive. If you uh, value speed, um, we will see kind of what the long run implications are of writing this complicated of legislation in a period of weeks rather than months uh, means. So. Well, I'm sure we'll talk again as the process continues. Jeremy, where can listeners follow the tax reform debate? So uh, we put up a ton of free tax reform content on taxanalyst.org. People can look for it there. And then we also have some free tax reform content on taxnotes.com. And as always, readers and subscribers to our products can follow it every day on taxnotes.com and our daily uh, news services. Excellent. Thank you for being here. Thank you. That's it for this week. You can follow me on Twitter at taxstew, that's S-T-E-W. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for a future episode, email us at podcast at taxanalyst.org. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play so you get the next episode of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Notes Talk is a production of Tax Notes. You can learn more about us by visiting www.taxnotes.com backslash products. When major media wants the straight story, they turn to Tax Notes. Thank you for listening, and join us again for another edition of Tax Notes Talk. Tax Analyst Inc. does not provide tax advice or tax preparation services. Nothing in the podcast constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice. A full disclaimer is included in the transcript.